And in this interview, Wayne Bruce talks to Professor Mike Crawford, who's the Deputy Vice-Chancellor Research in the Faculty of Health for the University of Newcastle. Mike, uh, what do you see as the major challenges facing university-related healthcare faculties uh, over, say, the next three to five years? Okay. Well, aside from the funding, and I might get around to that in a moment, the, the, the major challenge is really about uh, getting appropriate senior staff who can operate in a very different way to we expected them to operate a few years ago. I think in Australia we're, we're asking an awful lot of our senior staff in health research areas, which is really what the universities contribute to the, to the healthcare system. And um, the government uh, has made it clear, over, well the past two governments have made it very clear, that what they want is some real outputs from our uh, health research. and. While Australia has had a very good reputation in pure research, um, we're moving slowly, uh, and it is slowly, to actual outcomes in our research. There's a couple of competing forces. Uh, one is that uh, there are those that say, well, there's a lot known about uh, how to achieve good outcomes in health. We should just go ahead and implement that and not to worry too much about uh, finding out uh, new knowledge. The opposing group, which says that, well, knowledge is always moving, it moves very rapidly, and if we don't have people who are right at the forefront of uh, gaining new knowledge, as in top researchers, that we actually just won't be in the game of knowing what to implement when and how, and and we'll become uh, essentially like a a third world country in terms of (coughs) our um, our healthcare ambitions, not just uh, our healthcare outcomes. So... Most researchers and most people like myself sort of fall into the latter group, that uh, we have to be right at the top in terms of research as well as in terms of uh, implementing that research. Mm. And you mentioned funding as a potential issue? Certainly uh, we've seen some good increase in funding for the NHMRC over the past uh, 10 years and it is now 10 years since the big report into the NHMRC, the, the Wills report, uh, and that did bring about through uh, Michael Wooldridge when he was uh, Minister at the time, and then he fought hard for an increase in NHMRC funding, and there was a, uh, essentially a doubling in the base funding for the NHMRC. Um, that, while we're gonna, one can always say there needs to be more money, um, in, in fact what's happened is that the the remit of the NHMRC has broadened so that the funding available for basic research really hasn't changed that much uh, because we're funding a, a great deal more uh, than we were, uh, uh, more, th- more that was previously covered by the health system is now being covered by research grants. And to give an example of that, if we look at uh, the life, say, of a senior staff specialist well, a senior staff specialist who was employed in the late 80s or early 90s saw their life as being about a third clinical, about a third uh, teaching and training, uh, and about a third research. Now, these days, um, the state healthcare systems uh, really want to see them about 80% um, frontline clinical. So the other aspects, the research aspects and the teaching and training aspects, uh, are being forced into funding from other avenues. And so while they're, they're, one can see an increase in direct funding for research, 
there's been a loss of the indirect funding for research. Uh, and so certainly uh, the days of trickle-down funding both from universities and the healthcare system into research are over. And if you don't have a grant now, you're not doing the research. You mentioned earlier one of the key issues facing the university sector is, is attracting and retaining senior level talent. What do you see as the, uh, the uh, you know, toolkit that you might use uh, to be successful in doing that as a, as a university? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we have to recognise that uh, it's an impossible task to get everyone that uh, fits uh, all the requirements that, that, that are needed. I mean, I think it's tougher in Australia than it is in most other countries in, in, in that, uh, that I've worked with in this regard. We want people who um, have excellent personal research records, um, have good research funding, uh, and then we want them also to represent us on a whole lot of boards, um, to liaise with government, um, often on a daily basis, um, to, to be up and down to Canberra, up and down to Sydney, uh, and yet we still expect them to meet all the other requirements of being a, a senior academic. Um, something has got to break in that system at some time. At the moment, we're, we're fortunate. We do find you know, a few of these super people around the place who manage to maintain some research credibility, um, largely because they've got good groups around them that they've developed, but they still uh, maintain their interest and, uh, and they work damn hard. This is, you know, these are people who, who will work 15 hours a day you know, six and a half days a week um, continuously uh, and uh, we're very fortunate to have people like that. I don't see the same pressures on people in the United States. In the United States uh, there's a separation um, between those who do the political side and the, and the fundraising side from, from those who head the research groups. So people who head research groups can uh, become very senior in their organisations. Uh, here we have a bit of a ceiling where our, our really top researchers um, uh, have to move into um, senior administration and politicking uh, in, or, in order to, uh, to stay at those top positions. So we've got a bit of a problem, but um, I think we, we do find people um, who, who manage to step up. Do, do you think, just reflecting on what you said, do you think there might be... Uh, scope in the medium to longer term t to introduce, for lack of a better term, but a, a sort of more of a, a skill research based, you know, super professor type position that people can progress into without having to go into the administrative politicking side of life. Yeah, I, I, I think actually, if we look outside of medical research, we, we are seeing that. So um, the Federation Fellowship Scheme, which uh, has just come to, to an end, although there's still lots of them in the system, and the new Australian Laureate uh, uh, Professor Scheme that uh, uh, was announced last week, um, there um, the aim is to give very good funding to uh, top professors uh, and let them have their way um, and get on with their blue sky research for five, six, seven years. Uh, we don't have enough of that in Australia. Um, so there were only 15 uh, Australian Laureate Fellows uh, announced last week um, across all areas. When it comes to the medical research side, 
we really don't have an equivalent of that. Um, there, there are some schemes at the NHMRC that are starting to, um, to, to, to fund in those, to, to, to try and find top people, um, but we don't have the equivalent of that. The NHMRC has, a, has a, uh, another problem that really we have too many research fellows at the lower level uh, and uh, the filter between uh, for them to, to, to get on and uh, become more senior is just incredibly difficult. Um, by comparison with other countries, um, I, while our medical research institutes are wonderful, uh, there's just no doubt about that, they're world-class places, um, in terms of career paths for individuals, they are very difficult places and uh, we, we don't have the correct rewards there in terms of career paths for, for individuals. One of the problems, I think, is that we don't integrate our medical research institutes and our universities terribly well. Um, and in fact, we have funding mechanisms, state funding mechanisms, that really force a separation of our medical research institutes from, um, uh, from universities, especially in Victoria, uh, that is somewhat artificial. And uh, if you looked at it from the outside, you'd laugh at it. Um, you, you'd really want the people that uh, are top medical researchers to also be teaching undergraduate students in some in some sense. Now, some of them do it um, a few hours a year, uh, but really, um, they're the same people we want to be bringing the next generation on. Um, but we separate them out into a medical research institute where it's difficult for, for them to interact with universities because of the need for independence to maintain their funding. Mm. And um, just lastly, what competencies do you think today's university leaders need? And would you, if I talked about executive management structure of a university and senior academics, do you see that there's slightly different competencies or additional competencies that are needed across those two groups? Yeah. I, 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 they're quite different competencies and I think very few senior academics uh, make successful university um, senior administrators. Um, I'm of the view, it's, it's a bit of an old-fashioned view, that you, you can't train people for, for these jobs. It, it, um, to say it's innate is probably wrong. Um, but uh, it's an experiential um, plus ability aspect and that uh, people choose themselves for these jobs. I mean, I, I know I've been on selection panels for a number of uh, heads of faculty or executive dean positions around the country and at times uh, there are very few uh, applicants that you really want to look at. And the people that, that put their hand up for, the, for these things often don't know what the, the job really entails. Um, they've all been extremely uh, successful in, in what they're doing. Uh, but in terms of uh, being able to do the internal politics um, and at the same time represent the faculty or represent the university uh, externally, they, these are very difficult jobs. And... Um, Ones that you, you, sending someone off on a you know a training course uh, is not going to get uh, going to get very far. People have forgot to have demonstrated, th I think, throughout their career that they have these skills. And you know, in indeed, 
those skills can be developed through running a research centre, through running three or four research grants, um, taking on administrative roles within a faculty or medical research institute um, or or, uh, an equivalent research centre in other fields. And we have to look carefully at people's uh, CV to see whether they have demonstrated those skills along the way. Mike, thanks very much for your time today. Okay, thank you. So thank you for listening to the latest in our series of healthcare sector podcasts brought to you by C-Centric. 